also. It's a privilege that we have um, each week in our services to bring our requests to God as a church family. And so will you please join me in prayer. So Father, as we come to you this morning, we have many requests. We ask that you would help R and C as they serve in South Asia. Help them to share the gospel with the Bengali-speaking people that they serve. We praise you for the fruits that they've had in this work as well. Thank you for how you have opened several of their friends' hearts to believe the gospel. And we ask that you would help R and C and their team to disciple these new believers as well. We also want to pray for R in Central Asia. Thank you for the doctors and the nurses in Thailand um, who helped diagnose her and create a temporary treatment plan. I ask that you would help R to come to full health soon. And thank you so much for her love for the people in Central Asia and for her desire to share the gospel with them. Please help the you people to believe the gospel soon and to worship you. God, we also want to pray for the Dakani people in South Asia. Father, build your church amongst them and soften their hearts to the gospel. Thank you so much for the way that you have um, brought Dave Netherton through his heart surgery yesterday and Andrew Coltrane um, through his ankle surgery as well. Help them to recover. God, I ask that you would be with Alex and with Faye as they care for them, as they recover too. Please help Marilyn Ryan and Randy Steiner to continue to recover well from their surgeries. And thank you for the surgeons and the staff who cared for them. Father, we ask that you would heal Amanda Olinger from her cancer. God, my heart breaks for Austin and her. This recent news of their cancer, of her cancer spreading. God, give them courage to persevere in this trial and for their faith in you to remain strong. Father, help us this morning to be attentive to your word and help me to preach it faithfully and clearly. God, increase our love for the nations around us and give us courage and energy to share the gospel with the people that we meet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name's Lucas McGarrity. I forgot to introduce myself before that, if you don't know me. Um, so some of you, um, you actually, there might be a couple of you in this room that know this particular fact about me, but my guess is that most of you actually don't know this particular fact about me. Um, and that fact is, I love trees. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Um, my love for trees, it began when I was a kid. My dad and I, we would walk around our yard and we would check on the trees. Some of you may be thinking, what does that even mean? Checking on the trees. They're just trees. They sit there. They're not moving around, not like animals or anything. But no, you do need to check on the trees in your yard. It's important. We'd see how much they grew. We'd see if they were having any particular problems that we could maybe mend. 
My love for trees, though, it was solidified um, when we went on a family vacation to see the giant sequoias in Sequoia Kings Canyon National Park. When I saw them on this vacation, I was in awe of how big they truly were. My parents tried to set the stage for us kids, like these are going to be really big trees. And me and my nine-year-old mind was thinking to myself, yeah, got it. It's a tree. I've seen big trees before. I had not seen big trees before, people. No. These trees put every big tree that I had ever seen and every big tree that I have ever seen since then to shame. They're absolutely huge. If you've been to them and you have seen them in person, you know what I'm talking about. And if you have not been to see them in person, there's your family vacation for the summer. Here's some stats on just one of these giant sequoias. It's 275 feet tall. The trunk is 36 feet in diameter at the base. For those of you who don't know what 36 feet is, it's from that end of these steps to that end of these steps, and then add two feet on each side. It is from the, pew, the front of these pews to the back of the drums. The tree is this whole stage. That is... you. you Wow! <laughs> the largest branch of this tree is seven feet in diameter. It's, it's like a root. Like, that's a branch. It's estimated to be over 2,000 years old. This tree is the end reality of a seed being planted in the ground and a little sapling beginning to grow thousands of years ago. The end reality or the ability to see the finished work of something, it actually gives us motivation to do the initial work, starting work. See, these massive and these awe-inspiring trees um, has made me like trees even more, and it's also made me want to plant trees. Christy thinks it's funny that I actually have a little tree nursery in our backyard in the garden. And then I'm always adding to these trees. I'm planting little seeds and acorns and walnuts with my kids. We have these little yogurt containers that we put them in. When they get too big for that, we transplant them to a bucket. And we bury that bucket in the ground and we let them grow in there until we need to move them along to another spot. I plant trees because I know what they will eventually become even though I may not actually be able to see the end result of that. And so the Bible, it motivates us in a similar way. The book of Revelation is addressed to seven first century churches um, who are threatened by false teaching and persecution. Um, Their current situation was difficult, but through the book, Jesus reveals what the end will be like through his revelation to John. It's meant to encourage these churches to persevere in their faith and remain true to the gospel. And so our passage this morning um, in Revelation 7 um, gives an awe-inspiring picture of people praising God in heaven because of his great salvation. And so will you please open your Bibles um, to Revelation chapter 7, um, verses 9 to 12, and will you please stand for the reading of God's word. says this After this I looked 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So these... These verses in Revelation 7, they contain two doxologies. A doxology is simply just an expression of praise to God. The first doxology is said by a great multitude of people. And the second is said by angels and elders and four living creatures. This morning we're going to focus on this first group, the great multitude of people, and the reason they are able to praise God in such a way. And as we do this, we'll answer three questions. We'll see who do we go to, why do we go, and how do we go. And so as we work through the answers to these questions, we will see that all nations and peoples will praise God for his salvation through Jesus. And this heavenly vision in Revelation 7, it motivates us to our earthly mission today. The end result and the end reality motivates us to our present calling. And so my first point answers the question of who do we go to? And so we are called to go to all peoples. We see that all peoples are praising God in verse 9. The great multitude of people is from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, and all languages. None are absent or left out in any way. The gospel is for all who believe. And this is true for all individual people, but it is also for all people groups or all nations all the people groups of the world are represented in this heavenly vision and so we need to be clear what a people group is and what a people group is not first a people group isn't a a group of people with some sort of a shared interest or a, a common age or socioeconomic status or even a shared location Those are groups of people, or people can be grouped by those categories, but those are not people groups. You may have things in common with people in these categories, but it doesn't make you a people group with them. Um, The definition for a people group that I like the best is from the Joshua Project. The Joshua Project defines a people group as the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church-planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding and acceptance. I mean, it is a a group of people who have a a shared language and a shared culture so that they can understand each other. It's also a group of people who accept one another. For example, they are from a similar caste or a similar tribe. So this definition was made with missions and evangelism in mind. It was made knowing the heavenly vision and revelation will come and therefore we need to do evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with someone and calling them to respond to it. Calling them to believe it. When, we believe they, when they believe they need to be gathered into churches in order to grow their faith just like we are doing right now. And so going to all peoples is a big task 
which isn't finished. Um, The total population of the world is 7.9 billion people. There are currently 17,443 people groups in the world today. And only about 20% of the population and the people groups are significantly reached. The people group that many of you belong to, Americans in the United States of America, you fall into this 20% category. But 40% of the world's population, 7,500 people groups are classified as unreached. An unreached people is less than 2% evangelical Christian. There isn't a large enough Christian community to evangelize this people group without outside help. They need missionaries who have been sent out by local churches to share the gospel with them. And so there is a great need for the gospel to go to these unreached places. And we, you, first free, we have made this a priority in our missions ministry. About 25% of the church's annual budget goes um, to serving, uh, goes to missions, and about half of this goes to people serving with unreached people groups. This is an important priority for us, and I believe that many more churches actually need to make this a priority for their church as well. And so prayer is another way that we can help the gospel go to all peoples. Not everyone is called to be sent out as a missionary, but all people are called to pray for those who have been sent out. And every month we have a new missions prayer calendar. There are some right outside these doors, um, outside the worship center. There are some um, at the welcome desk as well. We highlight five of our missions partners each month and we pray for them. It is a great thing to pray for missionaries we have sent out, but we also need to pray for the people that we have sent them to. The reason our missionaries are there is actually because of these people. It's not because they're just like, you know what, let's go to a cool place like Bangladesh. No, it's because there are people in Bangladesh that don't believe the gospel and they are going to those people. There's actually lots of people in Bangladesh that don't believe the gospel. And so we need to lift these people groups up in prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to see the truth of the gospel and to believe it by faith. The prayer page in your bulletin highlights one people group each week as well. These people groups are specific ones that our missions partners are actively serving. And many of them are unreached peoples, and your prayers for them are a part of our church partnering together to take the gospel to them. This week, the Dakani people are highlighted. They are an Urdu-speaking Muslim people group in South Asia. Other people groups that you can pray for are the Italians, the Sylheti-speaking Bengalis, the Turks, the Albanians, the Moldovans. I could go on for 17,443, but I won't. So pray for God to soften their hearts and for them to repent and believe the gospel. Revelation 7, it gives us a picture of a great multitude of people from all nations, tribes, and languages praising God. And we need to keep this nuance in mind when we think about missions. We are going to people, not places. I do realize that the people live in places, so we actually have to go to the place in order to minister to the people, but the main reason we're going is for the people. And a pet peeve of mine is when people say that they went to Africa on a missions trip. 
Africa is made up of 54 independent countries. It is two and a half times the size of the continental United States. It is on both sides of the prime meridian and the equator. It's somehow in all four quadrants of the world. It is absolutely massive. When people go to Africa, where'd you go? Sorry. <laughs> what country did you go to in Africa? But we need to be even more specific than the country that we went to in Africa. We need to be talking about what people group did you go to on this short-term missions trip? We should say the people group that we want to, uh, that we went to, because missions and evangelism is about people we take the gospel to, not the particular location that they live in. And now that we know who we were supposed to go to, we need to talk about why do we need to go? Why do we go to them? Missions and evangelism, um, they are hard work. And if we don't have the right motivation for going, then we won't actually be gone for very long. The right motivation allows us to do the hard work, and the gospel is actually what motivates us to go. Our second main point is the gospel motivates us to go to these peoples. The reason we go to these um, other peoples to share the gospel with them at the very simplest thing is because Jesus told us to. He commands his followers to go wide with the gospel, and we see this most clearly in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus, kept, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave this commission to the eleven disciples in Galilee. Um, it is the commission to build the church and it is the command to churches today. The one with all of the authority in heaven and on earth gave us this commission to make disciples by going to all nations, baptizing those who believe and teaching them to obey God's commands. This is the duty of all Christians and one that we should follow. Being motivated by commands and it being our duty to fulfill them isn't bad. But if that is our only motivation for our obedience then our obedience will begin to waver. Duty by itself is an insufficient motivator. It's not a bad motivator, but it is insufficient. And if you don't believe this, then I want you to think about something that you have to do um, because you know it's good for you. For instance, eating healthy or exercising regularly. We all know it's good for us to actually do these things. And we often start doing them. We improve, improving our diets, um, losing weight, improving our fitness. They are the bread and butter. They're the go-to picks for New Year's resolutions. I may have sparked you to remember that New Year's resolution that you made a month ago and have quickly forgotten. The YMCA is actually packed after the first of the year with these do-gooders on their duty to get healthy. But now that February has come, it has returned to the normal amount of people who are just there all year long because those people have actually found delight in this work of working out. I don't understand those people, but they are there. 
the people who came in January knew that exercise was good for them to do, and so they started to. But their duty was not enough to keep them going. This motivation fizzling, it also happens in our Bible reading plans, our family devotions, and our church attendance. We know that these are good things for us to do, but duty is often not enough for us to do them. The additional motivation that we need to follow God's commands, specifically the Great Commission, um, comes from the gospel. The gospel is what brings delight to the duty of obedience. We need to have delight in fulfilling our duty, and we also need to know that fulfilling our duty actually brings delight. So what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus' death for our sins and resurrection from the dead. It's the reason that the great multitude of people are praising God in Revelation 7. They have been washed clean from their sins and they wear white robes to show this. They shout out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These people knew that God had saved them and that made them cry out in praise to God. They had done nothing to deserve this salvation it was freely given to them and it is the same in the same way that it is freely given to us today. And so I want to walk us through some verses in the Bible to help us reflect on the gospel and allow it to motivate us. Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are sinners, and what we have earned for our sin is death. But God offers us a free gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus. Romans 5.8 also says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't and you don't have to be good enough or obedient enough for Christ to die for your sins. He knew that you would be a sinner in great need of salvation, and that's why He died for you 2,000 years ago. He died while you were still a sinner because God loves you. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is how we are saved. We must know and say that Jesus is our Lord and we must believe that He died for our sins and God raised Him from the dead. When we believe that Jesus died for our sins, we are declared not guilty of our sins because Jesus died in our place. He substituted Himself for you, taking the punishment that you deserved and He paid it in full. Because of this is true, we can believe the truth of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe the gospel, you're no longer condemned. It's good news. You have to be, you've been set free to follow God. But if you do sin, you can repent and you can confess your sins to God. And 1 John 1.9 says that if, you can, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so as I said earlier, there are so many people in the world who do not believe this message that I just said. They do not know the free gift of eternal life. There are some people in this room as well that do not believe this. 
And so if you don't believe the gospel, I would call you to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ for your salvation. But for those of you in the room who do believe the gospel, we need to continue to reflect on it and remember it. Walking through verses like these is one way that we can do it, but there are many more. Two books that have helped me to do this are New Morning Mercies um, by Paul Tripp and A Gospel Primer for Christians um, by Milton Vincent. And so the first part of A Gospel Primer is made up of reasons to rehearse the gospel daily, and I want to read one of them this morning. It's titled Obedience Born of Love. It'll be on the screens. It says this, To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment in the law. If I could simply fulfill this one commandment, I would gladly fulfill all others as a natural matter of course. So how can I come to love God with all of my being? Well, the Bible teaches that genuine love in my heart for God is generated by an awareness of His love for me, and nowhere else is the love of God more clearly revealed than in the gospel. Therefore, preaching the gospel to myself is a great way to keep God's amazing love before my eyes so that I might delight, so that I might experience its power to produce in me a passionate love for Him in return. Captured by His love in this way, my smitten heart increasingly burns to do His will and feasts itself on doing so. This is the delight to obey that the gospel brings to us. The gospel is what motivates us to go to all peoples, um, sharing the gospel with them so that they can also come to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as I said earlier, this is going to all peoples is a difficult task. Um, But it is a task that we have been commanded to do, but it's also a task that we cannot do alone. The Great Commission was given to the church And it is local churches who carry it out in partnership with one another. And so how do we go? We go in partnership. Partnership is essential for this work that's being done. Over the last few weeks in this Membership Matters um, sermon series, we have been looking at the various aspects of First Free's Membership Covenant. In the first week, we looked at the case for church membership. Then on January 22nd, we heard about the importance of gathering regularly to worship. Last week, um, Josh preached on the need to give generously to care for the needs of of one another's needs and to support the mission. And this week, um, we are talking about how to the need to partner with one another to show compassion for the lost and to partner with one another in evangelism and missions. Partnership has been a part of our denomination since it began in Boone, Iowa in 1884. And the reason for churches coming together in 1884 is actually missions related. They knew that the task was too big for one church and they needed to work together in order to accomplish it. If they worked together, they could do more. Ten years later, in 1894, 37 pastors formed a ministerial association for the purpose of holding pastors accountable and to mutually encourage and help each other, partnering together in the work. In this partnership, it bore fruit as missionaries were sent out to people, first to the Mormons in Utah and then to the Han Chinese in southeastern China. Missionaries are still being sent out to people groups all over the world. 
Partnership is essential for this work. Our missions policy here at First Free has seven core values, and one of them is partnership. This section says we are committed to active, healthy relationships with our missions partners. It is important that our relationship be mutually encouraging partnership. And as First Free provides partners with financial, prayer, and other support, we expect them um, to partner with us through good communication, prayer, and visits when possible. Now, so I want to spend some time on how we can provide for our missions partners in three areas. The first area is financial partnership. Last week, Pastor Josh encouraged us um, to give of our financial resources in ways that advance the gospel. The primary way we can do this is by giving to the local church because the church has been entrusted with the gospel and the work to advance it. In addition to giving to the local church, we can also give directly um, to missionaries or to missions organizations. This type of partnership and support is modeled for us in the book of Acts as the church of Antioch repeatedly sends Paul out on these, his missionary journeys. And we also see this support um, in 3 John um, verses 5 and 8. These verses say this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. John is writing this letter to a man named Gaius, and Gaius has been supporting and caring for traveling missionaries as they come to his house. Gaius, he doesn't know them, but he knows the work that they are doing. He knows the reason they are on the road. They are working to take the gospel to those who do not know it. They have believed the gospel and have been motivated by it to go to others. And Gaius is doing an essential role in partnering with them and sending them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. When we partner with people doing this work and we send them in this way, we are fellow workers with them in the truth. This is the way that we are involved in it. We are a part of it. Financial partnership in the gospel is going forth is essential. And so in what ways are you investing in this work? Have you evaluated how you spend your money um, with this in mind? Last week, um, my wife Christy uh, and I, we talked about this. And we need to actually talk about it a little bit more. She and I need to continue to evaluate how we are using our finances for the advancement of of the gospel because we want to work toward the heavenly heavenly reality that Revelation 7 tells us about. And so the second way we can partner in this work is through prayer. I mentioned this already in my first point, but I want to say it again because it's important. We need to pray for the people that our missions partners are going to and we need to pray for our missions partners. Prayer is powerful. And it does massive work for the gospel going forth. And so if you know some of our missions partners, I would encourage you to be regularly praying for them. But if you do not know some of our missions partners, I would encourage you to pick one or two. 
There's a big board out in the courtyard. It's got, they're all on there. Some of them with pictures, some of them not, but that's okay. We can get you their contact information. You can get on their email list. You can hear about the work that God is doing through their ministry, and you can lift them up in prayer. And so the final way that we can partner with our missions partners um, that I want to mention is to actually go see them in person. Literally seeing them face to face and joining them in their ministry. Email and texting are great ways um, to support them, but seeing them face-to-face is essential for our partnership to work. This face-to-face contact can happen by them coming to see us here at First Free and by us going to them. Jim and Debbie Schoberg are here. Um, They have come to see us. They're sharing in the middle school class right now talking with them about missions and helping them to know the work that God is doing. I am so grateful for the work that Jim and Debbie have done throughout their lives in taking the gospel wide. And the work that they have done and they are continuing to do in planting churches in Western Europe. And so when our missions partners come to see us, there are ways that we can encourage and support them One of them is just by listening to them. When they come to your class, you listen to them, you actively talk to them, you welcome them in. We need to encourage and support them. We can talk with them before or after the worship service when they are here. Um, If we are offering a lunch for them, you can attend that lunch and talk with them. You can have them over to your house for dinner, um, or if you have the ability and they are in need, you can offer for them to stay in your home while they are in town. And while you are doing these things, I would encourage you to both learn about them, but also tell, share your life with them and let them get to know you. Let them encourage you in your faith while you are doing the same for them. And the other way we can see them is by going to see them face to face. Every year we send out four or five short-term missions trips um, this year we have teams um, who, are going to, uh, who are going to serve with Reach Global, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, people who are going to serve with Shelly, Patrio, and Kaylee. People who are serving with Ed and Denise Ollie, and people who are going to the Village of Hope. These trips, they help our missions partners accomplish ministry projects that they would not normally be able to do. The trip also allows us to see where they live and how they go about the ministry God has called them to do. They also allow us to understand and know our missions partners better, allowing us to better pray for them, to empathize with them, and to celebrate with them when God does the fantastic miracle of bringing people from dead in their sins to alive in Christ when they believe the gospel. If you've never been on a short-term missions trip or maybe it's been a really long time since you've gone on one, I would encourage you to go. Another type of trip that we are going to do this year um, are are some visit trips to our missionaries. This year we have two of these trips happening. I'm going to go visit W&S in South Asia in March um, and John and Erica Hindley are planning to visit Andy and Scarlett in the UK in May. The goal of these trips is to encourage our partners emotionally and spiritually. 
see their ministry and tangibly let them know that we have not forgotten them by our physical presence with them. I'm really excited um, for these two trips this year. But you actually don't have to leave town um, to see and encourage some of our missions partners face to face. I see two of them over there. Mike and Mary Dickey, who just got back from a trip to South Asia. Another missions partner that I want to highlight um, is the ISI ministry at Wichita State. You can provide meals for their table and talk evenings on Wednesdays and Thursdays. You can help out at the great giveaway that's going to happen in August. Um, You can be a friendship partner um, to them. You can invite them over to your house for dinner. Um, You can go see um, Claire Duckett or Randall Harms or Rod and Joyce Bevan. You can befriend the international students that they work with and you can share the gospel with them. Many of you participate in this work already. And I praise the Lord for that. But if you want to learn more about it, I would encourage you to talk um, to Rod Bevan and Claire Duckett. It brings me great joy to see the gospel um, going wide to all peoples. It also brings me great joy to see the gospel going wide here in our city. Our church, First Free, is in Wichita, Kansas for a specific reason. It is to both to reach the nations as we send people out, but it is also to reach our city as we are here doing evangelism in our workplaces and with our friends and with the people that you are literally the closest to, your neighbors and your family. When I hear of you doing this work, sharing the gospel and calling people to respond to it, It brings me great joy. I love to celebrate with you, um, both in your courage to step out when it was a fantastic success or when it was a super flop. All right? We can laugh together in those things that I really thought that gospel sharing was going to be really good, but oh, buddy, that didn't work out quite at all. I also love going on short-term trips especially. And the reason for that is when I go on these trips and see local churches made up of a different people group worshiping God in their own language, it encourages me. It reminds me of what will come when a great multitude from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages are worshiping God for His great salvation. And so first free, I would encourage you to reflect on the gospel this week. Let the truth of it motivate you to make disciples as we partake, as we partner together in missions and evangelism, and let the heavenly vision in Revelation 7 motivate you to the church's earthly mission today. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this vision that you have blessed us with of what will be, what is now people praising you around your throne because of the great salvation that you have offered. God, I ask that you would help us as your people have courage to take the gospel wide to all peoples, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, that we would share it with truth and with boldness. But God, ultimately, I ask that you would bring fruit from that work, that people would hear the gospel They would hear it for what it truly is and they would respond to it with repentance and belief 
saying that you are the Lord of their life and they would trust in you for all that they need and have. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen.